right. Well, let's go ahead with our class this morning. Father, we just are here this morning as your people, as those whom you have loved before the foundation of the world. And at the highest price, you have purchased us in Jesus. And you have applied that purchase power to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So that we are now who we have always been intended to be. Your people. In whom, Father, you are being manifested. As in us is being demonstrated, is being imaged. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we just come this morning thanking you for the gift of your Spirit and depending upon you and looking to you to be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we're continuing with the study of I am the vine and you are the branches in John 15. Remember, this is the last of the seven I am statements with a predicate. Remember what a predicate is, a verb that is followed by something of describing that verb. I am something, tall, ugly, smart, beautiful, whatever it would be. And so Jesus has seven of these, and in each one, <clears throat> he is giving us an identification of himself, of his purpose, and of the means of accomplishing his purpose. Those three things are in each one of these I am. The identification of himself, who he is in himself. The identification of why he has come into the world. And an identification of the means by which his purpose is being fulfilled. Do we get those three? Well, then also, then, of course, ultimately, then the result, which we'll see fully as he returns. So we've been talking about, in our passage, John 15, verses 1 through 8, three, well, we've been talking about one particular preposition last week and the week before that. Remember that preposition, the word I-N, in. And it is the Greek word E-N, which has to do with two things, location and instrumentality by the means of. And so when we look at these verses in chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, 
there are three words that Jesus used repeatedly in these three verses, uh, these eight verses. And we want to look at each one of these in a little more detail. We've already looked at the word I-N. He uses I-N, I think it's ten times. Remember what the I-N is indicative of. Remember what it means. Why does Jesus say I-N? <clears throat> in, in, I am in you. You are in me. He uses it to identify that we are now, as believers, those in whom the Trinity, the total person of God, all three persons of God, dwell. We call this the mutual indwelling. Remember, that's the revelation that God is manifesting in us. He wants to show all creation who he is in his person. That he is a triune God. One God who exists as three equal, distinct, divine persons. Each one indwelling the other simultaneously and equally. Yet each one fulfilling a distinct role. Remember that. And so how is that to be manifested in us? That is to be manifested in us as we are brought into this divine society. As we are now relationally connected to or involved with or joined to is a better term. This divine society. So one of the verses that capture this, remember, is 2 Peter 1, 4. Do you remember that? He's talking about God's great power and so on. That we may, we have become partakers. Now let's get this. Let's make sure we get it. We have become partakers. When? When? When are we partakers? Right now. We are partakers of the divine nature. In each one of us dwells the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the way we live, the way we think, the way we respond, etc., etc., is to manifest that this Trinitarian God is real and that he lives in us and that he is desiring us to be a living image of who he is so that when others see us, they will experience him. Now, they may not understand all of that, Roland. Other people may, may not say or understand, oh, in Roland, I see you, I see in you, God, the Father, God. No, they're not going to do that. But the Holy Spirit is going to communicate to these folks that God lives in you, that you are a man of God, that you are a woman of God. And in communicating that, he is communicating that all three persons of the Trinity live in you. The word in has to do with that. Well, this morning, we want to talk about 
the next one of these three words, which is abide. Abide. Now, abide is used in this passage ten times also. And the word abide, well, let me, let's read what the passage says. Let me just read the verses to you from verses 1 to 8. I just drew out those verses that Jesus says abide. It may be in your notes. Is it in there? Okay. Jesus, uh, and, and we start with, um, what verse is it, 4? I think, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in me, the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit from apart from me. You can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By the way, how many of you look at verse 6? Read verse 6 from your notes. I'm jumping ahead a moment. Read verse 6 in your notes. Now, I'm not asking you for an explanation. But think, what comes into your mind? What question comes into your mind when you read this verse? What question comes into your mind? Annabelle? Ah. So does that mean a believer can forfeit his salvation? Does it? You see, I shake my head this way. Some of you are saying yes. Some of you are saying no. So I do it that way, and it makes me dizzy anyway. Well, we'll be speaking about that in the next week or so. But let's talk about the word abide. Jesus uses the word abide to emphasize two connected aspects of the word abide. Now, I want you to make sure you just heard what I said. I may not have put it in the notes this way, but often when I share this, it's not in the notes the same way or may not even be in the notes, and you just have to take further notes. Jesus uses the word abide to emphasize two connected realities or aspects of this intransitive verb. We won't go into that today, but some of you may know what an intransitive verb is. Two separate, but sorry, two connected aspects of this one verb. He's going to use it two ways. Here's one of the difficulties or problems that arise when people read this passage. They read the word abide as if it only has one application. And only one application is typically emphasized. And I've done a little reading like anyone who teaches the class, Todd would tell you, Nick would tell you, we have to do some reading. Why? Because we don't know anything of these things in ourselves. We have to hear from the Holy Spirit directly and we have to study the Word of God and what He has told other people. And when I read these things, the emphasis usually is upon what we're going to do is a second aspect of abide. But that's a mistake unless we first understand and anchor ourselves in the first aspect. 
the first aspect of abide has to do with our, get this, the first aspect of abide has to do with our permanent place or position or condition in Christ. That's all we're going to do this morning. If you're not, Jacob, would you introduce this lady who just came in with you? Well, it's okay to introduce her. Cherise, come on. Well, now, how many of you heard her name? Cherise. This is another one of those anchor kids. Good to have you here. She's coming back again. And if she does, I'm getting you, Pharaoh Green. So important, so important. The first meaning of abide is a state of being or condition of who we are in Christ, who he is in us. The second way Jesus uses the word abide is to emphasize what we must do by cooperating with the Holy Spirit, not to continue to abide in Jesus, but to continue to experience the good or the blessings of that abiding. And what I find often is that the emphasis is upon what you must do to abide. And so there's some confusion there because if I said we permanently abide, Sarah, and I tell you that, then I say, now, here's what you have to do to abide. Uh, are you with me this morning? Now, what's wrong with that? If I permanently abide in Jesus, Rosa, then what are you saying to me that what I must do to abide and therein is the difficulty that we run into unless we distinguish the two ways that Jesus uses the word abide. Do we get that? And so that's why this morning we must first go to the foundational definition that Jesus is, how Jesus is using this word. The word abide means to remain, to dwell, to be at home in, to rest, to be satisfied in, to be a part of. Do we see that? It is the condition of our relationship with God, the Father, with God, the Son, and with God the Holy Spirit. It is the permanent position that we are in Jesus. He is our spiritual home forever. That condition is not something that we have caused to happen. And I always beat this drum because it's so indigenous to our flesh. 
and so a part of us. Our condition of remaining in him, of being in him, of being at rest in him, of living in him, of finding God himself as our spiritual home. We did not come into this position by asking Jesus to save us. The other day I heard the man say, not somebody in the church, but although we may say this, you have to give Jesus your heart. How many have heard preachers say that? You have to give Jesus your heart. Come on. You've heard it, haven't you? Where in the Bible does it say we have to give God our heart? But where in the Bible does it say God gives us a new heart that as a consequence of now having our hearts renewed, made alive because of the forgiveness of the blood of Jesus, now having a new heart, a new spiritual condition and disposition in us by the power of the Holy Spirit, Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Now, with that heart, as the activity and expression of that heart, we can now and we do now receive this gift of a good heart. We have a new heart in us by the Spirit. God does that, correct? And he does it not because we asked for it, but because we couldn't ask for it. He does it not because we asked for it, but because we couldn't ask for it. We were what? Dead. Ephesians 2, 1. You were formerly what? Dead. Dead. In your sins and trespasses. Dead people have no ability in themselves. So we are in a new relationship with God. And that is one of dwelling, of living in him. Why? Because he first lives in us. God's purpose in making us his image bearers, Genesis 1.26, was that he would be imaged and manifested in a people in whom and with whom he dwells permanently. Having brought them into their permanent location in him. You see, the emphasis is not, as I often hear, we need to study who we are in Christ. Do we need to? Yes. We need to study who we are in Christ. But we can't do that effectively until we study who Christ is in us. So if you want to know who you are in Christ, learn who he is in you. And then you will begin to understand and experience who we are as we look at the various aspects of who we are in him. So we dwell in him. Now, the problem is that when we hear this, we pass over it quickly. We pass over it quickly. 
So what I want you to do, not at this moment, but to take time at various times during the day or the afternoon or the evening and just sit alone with God and do one thing. Ponder, meditate, ruminate, think about this most incredible, unbelievable, unimaginable, audacious truth that the God of glory, the grand creator himself, this majestic, holy majesty has chosen through the gospel to take up his relational presence and being in me and in you. We need to spend more time thinking about that than thinking about so much other. Because to the extent that we drink this in and experience the reality, the profundity, you know what that means, profound, the profundity, Carolyn, of what this is all about and what it means. I mean, Phyllis, can you imagine that God himself dwells in you? And I'm not making fun of Phyllis, but Phyllis will represent all of us here. And why would he want to dwell in you? Who are you that he should want to dwell in you? You see, what have you done, John, to ingratiate yourself? Linda, what have you done to make yourself an acceptable vessel? What? Think of who we are by nature. Think about yourself. I talked to a person the other day, and I, I think he may have had a little difficulty with it. And I said, the most overwhelming, one of the most overwhelming realities that I have is that I know myself, that is my natural self, too well. And knowing myself too well, Cody, I know I should never have been an elder. Because I know myself too well. Gene would tell you this. Yes, I was saved by grace, Jen. Yes. And that throws me right there. But, but having been saved by grace, I should never have been used even one time to teach one person one thing about the gospel. And if I never did anything beyond that one thing, Charlie, that was enough.
Because just that one thing, to me, is an overwhelming illustration of the amazing God that we serve. Just one time, Eddie. Just one time. Let alone over the years. This reality needs to be deeply embedded in our hearts. Why do we abide in Christ? Because he first abode in us. When did we abide in Christ? When did that whole understanding begin? Where is it from? Before the foundation of the world. Why do I keep harping on Ephesians 1.4? 1.4, 1.4, Ephesians 1.4. Why? Because it disconnects us, hopefully irrevocably, from anything of or about or for me. And it puts everything where? In God himself. When did this begin, if you would? And it can't even say begin because with God there is no beginning. But that's the best we can do, Carrie. When did this begin? Before the foundation of the world. So, Karen, why are you abiding in Christ? Before the foundation of the world, God chose us in Christ. Before the foundation of the world. Remember that? Before the foundation of the world. So, why are we here? He chose us. When did he choose us? Before the foundation of the world. How did he choose us? How did he apply that? Remember in, remember in 1 Peter 1, verse 3, he, God, has what? Caused us to be what? Is, is it in your notes? Do I have it in your notes? Cause, uh, do, do you, is it in your notes? He's caused us what? To be born again to a, what a living hope through do you see these words in your notes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead so this morning I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do one significant work and that is this to ground us in our assurance of God's pre-temporal, before the world began, pre-temporal choice of us as his kids, as his children. I don't like the word kids. As his children, as his beloved ones. And has made sure that his choice would be fulfilled in the cross of Jesus. Applying that choice of his to us by the Holy Spirit. So we see that our abiding in Christ is a manifestation of this mutual indwelling of the three persons of the Trinity. More than anything else, this morning is very simple. I want us to leave here today. I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to leave here today being rooted and grounded 
in this fact. Now, some who are certainly emphasized, often obedience is overemphasized. No, no, sorry, is wrongly emphasized. Let me change that. Is wrongly emphasized. But what about our obedience? Well, certainly, we'll talk about that the next time. But to know this, I'm not in Christ because I did something. I'm in Christ because what? He did it. And my receiving it was not even my own work. It was the outworking of the gift of faith that he gave me with which I then, my, if you would, work, is the spirit-empowered ability, the spirit-empowered ability and desire to receive or to cooperate with his giving me Christ. Amen? You see that? So there's a work there. But I don't want to put it on the shoulders of me and you. I want to put it on the shoulders of the Holy Spirit. But to make sure that we are responsible for cooperating with that. And we'll talk about that the next time. So, do we abide in Christ this morning? Yes or no? If we abide in Christ today, will we be abiding in him tomorrow? And if we abide in him tomorrow, will, be, will we be abiding in him when he returns? And when he returns, we will, will we continue to abide in, abide in him in eternity? Yes. Very important to get this solidified, this assurance in our hearts. So we can then begin to enjoy the fruit of abiding. And God can begin to enjoy bringing forth the fruit of Jesus in us. Todd is going to come up now and come to Linda Reed's table in a few want to and it was so lovely last week come up and be with Todd and participate by laying on your hands or praying together at the table here with Linda Reed today's her last Sunday and we can be praying for her thank you Todd y'all come on and gather around First of all, Father, this is becoming too regular of an occurrence. <laughs> and it continues to hurt, much like a, a scab being pulled off, Lord. But we know that you are the divine author. God, you write our stories. So, God, even though um, they're not turning out how we thought they are going to end, God, we trust you. God, we trust that uh, how you are positioning uh, Miss Linda and where you're sending her, God, is good. And God, we will miss her. God, this is a hole in our body. God, thank you for her effective ministry to us. God, thank you for her cheer and her joy. God, the way that uh, she cares and loves for those around her. God, thank you so much for the influence that she has been in my life, in my wife's life. God, thank you for um, her raising her son 
as a testimony to your goodness. God, thank you. We love you so much more because of her. God, she is a jewel, and uh, we look forward to walking in eternity with her uh, and seeing her shine even greater, God. So we pray for uh, John Michael and his bride. Lord God, may they uh, know the treasure that is coming their way, God. May they uh, richly receive their mother, and God, may she be treated with honor um, because she is worthy. Thank you so much. We pray a blessing upon her and her footsteps. God, may your grace protect her and care for her as she goes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.